Hello and welcome to this IBR Extra, a podcast from the Iowa Business Report. I'm Jeff Stein. The pandemic led to a reevaluation of how we work, how important having an office is, having daily face-to-face contact with peers. Dr. Jeff Kaplan of Lyft Innovate has been talking about re-examining the concept of work for decades. The rest of us are just now catching up. We talked about rethinking the concept of work as part of the 89th edition of our program, which aired during the second weekend of September 2021. Let's start with something very basic. Remind people who may not have heard the prior conversation, tell me about the company and how you wound up doing your work from home in Iowa. (laughs) Well, Lyft Innovate is really the realization of a dream. Uh, that I'm working on for about 30 years. I started the company uh, with two other gentlemen who had spent their life in technology like I had. But we dreamed of a company that was a flat organization, that was a virtual organization. People could work anywhere uh, so that people could really just have the opportunity to have a, really a, a work-life balance, that it didn't have to always be a choice between going to work and doing what you needed and wanted to do for your family. But instead, you could bring those two things together because uh, all three of the founders and I were really just love the work. And this was a great opportunity to sort of create that integrated lifestyle that we always wanted to create. And in doing so, we've actually had a chance to be uh, pretty successful in the industry. Now, when you and I talked something like nine months ago, this concept of work from home was still brand new, but it certainly wasn't new to you folks, because as you noted, everyone is working remotely. You don't have an office per se. The entire company is uh, working remotely, and we actually help organizations learn how to work in new environments. So the fact that that was our primary focus really played well, you know, with uh, the issues that were presented by the pandemic, right? All of a sudden, the world needed to start thinking about different ways of working, which is uh, basically the focus of our company since day one. And so that was a a lot of the reason that uh, we um, enjoyed some tremendous growth during an otherwise, you know, difficult time for the entire world. We have all understood now, regardless of what our jobs are, that things that we thought we could never do, We could never work remotely. We could not trust employees to work remotely. A variety of things where we artificially said pre-pandemic it can't possibly happen. When forced, we pivoted, we changed, and we found it actually, in many cases, could be more beneficial. Tell me, based upon your past experience and this last year and a half, two years that we've all gone through, what is wrong with the way we have thought about work in the past? Well, I have to tell you, you know, you sort of hit the nail on the head as far as the core belief of everyone in our organization. And that is that our relationship with work is broken. Um, You know, we see it, uh, we see it all over the place, whether it's boardrooms or break rooms, there's this undercurrent of angst and anxiety. uh, And people just know that the way it is now doesn't work, right? To go to uh, this place we call work for 2080 hours a year for ostensibly for 40 years of your life, a third of your waking life, and to pay the price that we do, not only in having to get in traffic and navigate that, but to surrender the opportunity to maybe go to our kids' games or to, to do other 
other things that are really important to us. It just didn't seem like a really good trade-off. And that's because the models that we built our organizations on are based on things that were applicable and appropriate 50 or 100 years ago, but aren't today. We have technology that works. We have a way we communicate. I feel like I know you and we've never met in person. And I will tell you at the start of the pandemic, as we were talking to business executives that were facing the remote question, we heard them say, this simply is not going to work. I mean, uh, they can tell us all they want that this is going to happen, but we know it's not going to work because I need to see the people at the desk and I need to watch them doing the work. And we know absolutely that's not the case. As a matter of fact, all the research studies support the fact that productivity actually went up amongst remote workers, as did their satisfaction uh, with their job and their career. There's the old concept that you hire good people, trust them to do their jobs, leave them alone, you're there as a resource. Those we tend to think of as the successful operations, the successful managers, those who are just hovering over a worker's shoulder, that creates that unnecessary angst, doesn't it? The hesitance to have them work remotely, the suggestion being, well, they'll goof off. Well, if you don't trust them to do the work, maybe you should not have hired them. Maybe they're misplaced. Well, that's absolutely true. And and you've described, you know, sort of the ideal. The reality is it gets a little bit more complicated, right? We not only have this need that we feel like we have to watch people do the work, but it's a matter of control, right? So when you're trying to protect a little patch of turf, right, you've gotten this promotion, you run this department and, you know, you work really hard to get that. You want to keep it. You don't want anybody telling the boss something contrary to what you said or somebody focusing on a project that you don't think, you know, is in the best interest of of your work group. And so all of these things come into play. All of the things that make us human come into play in terms of not having that control in the interpersonal relationship. And I think that's really the hardest part. The second part, though, is really interesting. It's generational. We did research on this topic, and we found that when we talked to people about collaboration, their definitions basically fell into two camps. One camp is we collaborate, And they define that by we get together, we talk about an issue, and then we go to our office and we do the real heads down work of getting things done. The other group felt we get together, we collaborate, we create something together, we produce that something. And when we leave, we can go do other things because the work is done. Now, I will tell you, you probably guessed the first group are those that are 45 and older, me included, right? That was how we view collaboration. The second group was born digital and they're very, very comfortable with working and producing group product. That's another issue that goes into this uh, whole combination of can we make remote work? The third thing is, you know, a lot of people, when they hear us talk, believe that we are starting a new workers movement, right? That we're like really ready to rebel against the man. That's not it at all. Our organization is all about helping organizations negotiate a future of work that makes sense for both sides. So remote workers should know that if they do get the opportunity, the privilege uh, to work at home and achieve this level of work-life balance and enjoy the trust that's been put in them to, to work when they're not in a physical location and nobody's watching, that they can't go out and double dip, which we're finding now is a big and growing issue where people feel like they can work from home. Well, they can work for two companies, get two full-time jobs and get two salaries. What we're finding is they do a really bad job at both. They're almost always exposed and then they don't have a reference and they burned a lot of bridges. On top of that, it's just wrong and it hurts the movement of fairness and equity that we're trying to create. You anticipated a question I was going to ask and that is, what do people not understand? 
when you talk about this topic, and I know you spoke at the Spark Waterloo event a, a few months ago, and we played a portion of those comments on the radio. What is it that people don't understand? Is it that they have preconceived notions, and so when you talk about collaboration, they immediately jump to communism as opposed to different <laughs> mindset of what it is that you're trying to get across in a workplace dynamic? I think the one thing that they don't understand is the thing that's different today is that the rate of change has sped up so significantly that it is our ability to sense change and respond to it that has become the singular characteristic of competitiveness in the new generation. So if we're going to sit back and we're going to say, this organization is IBM in 1965, we are self-sufficient. Everything we need from the first diagram to delivering and setting up the box is done right here. IBM, based here, best here, right? That kind of thinking is gone. It's got to be gone because the solution for the market, which IBM once had, has changed because in 1965, today was very much like tomorrow, which is very much like next year, which is probably a lot like next decade. Fast forward to our time, today is probably very different than tomorrow. And we have absolutely no idea what's coming next week or beyond. And if we don't have organizations that are ready to respond to that, then we're in a lot of trouble. And here's the thing, even if we're really good at sensing environmental change, right? And we can anticipate that, there is no possibility we're gonna be able to hire train and integrate the new roles necessary to take advantage of that change and capitalize on it. So instead, we've got to become really smart about hiring externally, that more and more of our companies are going to be external. Like we're a small company. We have less than 100 employees, but we deal with through vendors, hundreds and hundreds of people call themselves lifters. They're part of our organization. That's the way we can compete with a billion dollar company when we have a very small payroll and a very small footprint. Last year, we were named one of the top 20 data analytic companies on the rise. We got uh, number three in the world amongst 19,000 of Cisco's partners. We were number one in North America, number three in the world. And most of those companies that we competed with are multi-billion dollar organizations. And we did so because we have this great network of really sharp thinkers that can help us respond to changes on a dime. So while our competition is thinking about this or hiring for this or planning for it next quarter or next year, we've already executed it and we're moving on. That's what organizations need to do. We're going to have a lot of organizations that we see in, in the skylines of every city in America go the way of Blockbuster and TWA. Those were once something that was on every block that today isn't. That was an airline that had a majority share of the flight miles in America that's no longer around. And that's not going to be an anomaly. That's going to be a fact of life going forward. When you were mentioning those other companies, I was thinking of the irony that here are some companies that are designed to work with your business to teach you to be most efficient And they themselves are the picture of old school inefficiency, whereas what you're doing is advocating a very similar ideal for these clients of yours that you're employing. I mean, truly living the life Mm -hmm. and walking the walk. You have been doing more than just working with your clients since you and I last talked. You're branching out to various forms of media, talking to people directly. I understand a book in the works, et cetera. Talk about that aspect of the company and of your work in particular. Well, I got to tell you, we took inspiration um, from, um, you know, settler of the 
uh, artists in the music industry. There's one particular artist, she's a, a young uh, a woman who basically wrote an album in her bedroom with her brother. And the next year she won like all the awards, all yeah. the Emmys, um, you know, the uh, or Grammys for uh, uh, for uh, music production and best yeah. best records and so forth. She basically scratched the record, so to speak, on the, on the industry so that those grooves weren't there anymore. It played different. It was a different way of doing things. So in my career, I've been involved with four New York Times bestsellers. I wrote um, an industry bestseller called Everybody Sells that talked about B2B team selling, uh, business to business team selling. Um, and, and I know how that system works, but we wanted to create something different that reflected the kind of organizations that we're promoting with our business, the ones we help create, create and a model uh, that is reflective of how people work today. So we reversed exactly what we've done before. The old model was um, you go out, write a, a book, you get corporate speeches. Uh, the people at the, the corporation are really the, the ones that get the information because they have the resources through their corporation to have access to it, which means others don't. Uh, and then it gets a bestseller status so that um, other people then learn about it. But sometimes that can be a gap of up to three years between when you write it and the everyday person starts realizing how they can apply it. So we wanted to do something completely different. We wanted to follow the music industry and, and, and reverse it, flip it. So what we've done is we've created a show called uh, Willing to Win, which is uh, a show all about how our relationship with work is broken and what we as a community of individuals or groups, uh, we can come together and we can negotiate a better future of work. That uh, content that we talk about each week and the exercises we go through with our listeners is really the content that'll be coming out in the books. We're giving it all away every single week for free. Um, and so we've got a TV show on KWWL. Uh, we're here on uh, KXEL uh, every uh, every week. Uh, we share that. So by the time the books come out, everybody's prepared to use them so that the, the net net effect of those books is real change and real value to the end user. Um, and if the companies want to use it, we hope they do. We're in business to do just that. That's great, but that's not going to be our focus. Our focus is going to be the social good of sharing this information and empowering people to create better careers for themselves now. And it is a way of enhancing message retention. Because again, from my experience as a college professor, you do a lecture, you have reading material. They should be in concert with one another. And there are some learners who need to hear it first, and then the reading makes sense, the words on the page. There are others who want to read it first, and then the verbal lecture or the conversation takes it to the next level, because we don't all learn the same. And so, as you say, what you're doing is coming on the radio every week, coming on television regularly, telling these things so that the audience then is arguably ready when there's printed material and it's not just something that they that is foreign to them, in other words. Yeah. Well, you you definitely, you know, you you definitely caught us on that mm -hmm. because um, the reality is the, the old school way was tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. Mm -hmm. And that was more about repetition. Mm -hmm. But now it's all about being, you know, um, multi-platform. So we not only do the radio and TV, we also have a YouTube channel where people can watch uh, exactly what we did on the radio as a TV show every week. They can actually see us in the studio so they can you know feel like they're more a part of it. We cut those up and we have uh, members of our staff that do nothing but post on TikTok at one minute at a time, right? Or do Instagrams and things that my generation probably 
probably wouldn't even think about doing. But this way we get the message out to more and more people. And I will tell you, we went from literally, you know, no audience to having over 250,000 followers in, in a very short period of time because the message is on target. But more importantly, uh, we, we, we presented the message in the platform format that was most comfortable to a broadest uh, range of uh, audience. It's all about the delivery mechanism, having the audience, delivering it to them in the way that they want to receive it. And it may be, in essence, quote unquote, the same message. But with a half dozen different platforms, you have the best chance of optimizing message retention. All right. Let me ask you finally. What's the best thing right now of being Dr. Jeff Kaplan? <laughs> I got to tell you, the best thing right now is um, getting a chance to hear the stories from our listeners. So the idea of the show is there's a thing called a zeitgeist. And the zeitgeist is a German word that describes uh, the fact that there is typically in every age a dominating conversation that's going on. And because we can't be in all places at the same time, right, um, we don't know that that conversation is going on. We know we're having it, uh, but we don't know others are having it. And we haven't given it a name yet. The conversation that's going on right now is the fact that our relationship with work is broken and we need to do something about it. So I think we have about a decade to renegotiate the future of work. What that means, though, is somebody's got to step in the middle of this zeitgeist conversation, give it a name and start to tell people, hey, if you're having this conversation, you know, in Germany or Singapore or South America or Asia, you know, come in and be a part of our effort. We want to hear what you have to say. Let's together craft what's acceptable and what we're no longer willing to accept. And let's create a future that instead of being a win-loss, a zero-sum game, which is how business is based today, let's create a, a future in which we're willing to win, win, which is what uh, our, we're all about. Now, you just described collaboration. You realize that, <laughs> don't you? You just described the very thing that, that you're advocating, this idea of a collaborative effort in a current world situation. Absolutely. And I guess old dogs can learn new tricks, <laughs> even at this stage. <laughs> Dr. Jeff Kaplan of Lift Innovate. We connected via Zoom on Thursday, September 2nd. You can learn more by going online to liftinnovate.com. The site includes links to their new radio and television programs he mentioned. The Iowa Business Report, radio program and podcast, is presented by Advance Iowa, the state of Iowa's comprehensive consulting program designed to work with mid-sized companies to enhance their growth. Online at AdvanceIowa.com. The Iowa Business Report airs weekly on dozens of radio stations across the state of Iowa, with the podcast posted right here every week, along with additional IBR extras and IBR business profiles. I'm Jeff Stein for the Iowa Business Report.